Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning we're talking about the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. I remember one time doing a funeral service, delivering a message on life, death, and eternity, and really explaining that there is a heaven to gain and that there is a hell to shun. And when I got done with the message, you know, you never know how people are going to respond or react to a message like that. Well, the fella, one fellow stood up, kind of yawned real big and stretched his arms out real wide. He said, I don't fear God and I don't fear death. You say, did you hear him? I was standing right next to him when he said it. I think the point was for me to hear him. To let me know he didn't fear God and he didn't fear death. Well, that was almost 40 years ago or 30 some years ago. I pray he's still alive. And I pray he's had a heart change. You see, that's what our message is about today. When a person doesn't fear God then they're going to live apart from God. In the book of uh, Proverbs, look at chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Without the fear of God, you don't know anything. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's the elementary part or the essential part of knowledge. So if we want to have any kind of knowledge, we begin with what? The fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Then look at uh, uh, Psalms 55 and verse 19. And this is from the New Living Translation. God who has ruled forever will hear me and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. Let me repeat that. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. Have you ever said someone really needs to change or I like to see that person change? I pray that this person that I mentioned changes also. But my enemies refuse to change their ways. Why? They do not fear God. Why aren't they changing? They don't fear God. You know why the message didn't impact him in a positive way? Because he doesn't fear God. You see, we want people to change what they're doing, maybe outwardly, externally. Some of the things we talk about that are committed in life, you know, sins committed in life. Well, we start right here. Instead of working on the outside and say, stop that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, whatever. We need to really reach the heart of a person and say, do you fear God? Or if we can somehow inject the fear of God into their innermost being, it'll change the way they live on the outside. So we could say it this way. The fear of the Lord or the fear of God is a motivation for living right and for making changes in our lives. And without it, people will not be motivated to change or to live right. Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. The Pro book of Proverbs really talks about two people, those that fear God and those that don't fear God. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose. Everybody say choose. 
Choose the fear of the Lord. Did you know fearing God is a choice that a person has to make? I must choose. You must choose to fear God. If you listen to other people that are out there in the world that are worldly and all that sort of thing, there is no fear of God in them. But you've got to make a choice. I've got to make a choice for myself. Will I or will I not fear God? I believe we should. What about you? Vines de definition of vines, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a, it's a dictionary on New Testament, Old Testament words. And he says that fear of God is having a motivation in your heart that doesn't want to displease God. It's a controlling motive of the heart in, in life in matters moral and spiritual. It's having a wholesome desire to not fear God, to, um, to not displease God in any way. In other words, I fear God in such a way. It's going to move me to act the way he wants me to act, to live the way he wants me to live, to do the things he wants me to do. So I, I have this wholesome dread of displeasing God is what he is saying. Well, look in the, well, let me give you an example first. When I first started working at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company, I didn't start in, in the crane. I started on the ground. And I was a plug setter. I was a mill. I did the uh, sizing mill. But from the billet yard all the way to the cooling rack, we made the big pipe, not the small ones. That was number one mill. Number two mill, we made the big 15 and three-quarter inch pipeline, the oil pipeline and, and all that. These billets out there in that yard weighed about 2,000 pounds. They would come into a hot furnace where they would take the temperature of the billet up to like 2,200 degrees. They would go then to a piercer where they would pierce a hole in the center of it. And then it would have to go back into a reheat furnace and reheat it back up to a hotter size to go into the high mill, which would stretch it out 30 feet long. And then it would go over to a sizing, uh, to a reeler where they would ream it out on the inside some more and into a sizing mill that went through there to make sure that the size was accurate to a cooling rack where it would go down for coupling. And when I walked in there and I saw all that machinery, I went, wow. This is like stepping into an underworld, a place that's awful, that you could lose your life in a heartbeat. And there was great respect and great reverence that I had for all the machinery that I saw before my eyes. And plus, you got the mill crane. I didn't know I'd be operating a few years later, but the mill crane in operation, and you got stuff going over your head, that, tons of stuff over your head. In a matter of just a few years, guess what happened? People lose respect and reverence and that awe when you first walked in there. And guess what happens when you lose that? You start getting casual in the way you treat the machinery. And just like this one millwright, he didn't follow the proper protocol, which he knew to do on the downshift when he was checking all the machinery, and material, all the things that were, make sure that they were in top running order. You got to follow orders, even as a millwright and protocol, which is why you have safety meetings and all that. Well, I don't want to get into the gory details, but this fellow refused, or he just chose not to at that particular time because he became so, so casual because he's now used to it. And so he walks underneath to check this, what's called a claw, that takes this big, large billet, and it goes like this here. It's almost like an S shape, and then it goes, the one on top, and the other one's going to the bottom. So he went under there to check it out. But he forgot to tell his buddy what he was doing. 
Who pushed the button? I don't need to say any more, do I? We become casual. And I'm going to shift that over to our walk with God. Over the years, we can come, become very casual. Do you know what I mean? Casual. And when we have a casual attitude toward God and toward sin, it can lead to things like that. Things that are not good. And so sometimes when parents see their children maybe doing that same thing, becoming casual toward their walk with God or whatever, you know, they think, well, stop this and stop that and stop doing this and stop doing that. That's not the case. No, but it's this. Let's get the fear of God back into people. But isn't he a wonderful, loving, caring heaven? Yes, he is. But he's also a consuming fire. And that's what this message is all about. So I want you to look in your Bibles with me to uh, Psalm 36 and verse 1. This is almost like a safety meeting that we're having this morning. Is that okay? And really, we should just check our own hearts to make certain that we're really tip-top shape when it comes to following the protocol and walking in harmony with God's will, and we're really fearing God as we should. And once again, fear does not mean I'm afraid of God. What it means is I reverence who He is. I stand in awe of who He is. I bow before who He is, and I know my frame. Do you see that? Look at this verse. This is a wonderful verse. This is, I think, Psalm 36, verse 1. NIV, I have a message from, my, from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Whoa, what is that message? There is no fear of God before their eyes. When that guy blurted out, I don't fear God and I don't fear death. Wow, really? At that point, this is, this is human nature, you know, I'm a robust guy. I'm a tough guy. I'm strong. Job thought he could box with God too, but he found out he was no match. I, like I said, I pray, that God had a, I pray to God that man had a heart change, because if he didn't, he's lost eternally. And I guarantee you, when he finally stood before God, his whole heart attitude changed at that moment. I bet you he fears him now. I bet you he fears death now. You see, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Well, how are we going to get the fear of God before people's eyes? Well, since you asked. In the book of Acts, chapter 5. Now, chapter 4 is a beautiful chapter. It's a chapter that talks about how Peter and John just got someone healed. They were threatened not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And you know the story there. But then they were taken into question. See, there was great grace. There was great power manifested. And there was great unity among the people. Those three powerful things. Great grace, great power, great unity among the people. And they were all experiencing all things equal. And they were all just full of joy and rejoicing. Well, Ananias and Sapphira come along. And you know what? They kind of devise a plan that's going to put a little bit of a wrench in the machinery. And let's read it first. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Whoa. And to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, wasn't it your own? After it was sold. Was it not within your power? 
Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Thou hast not lied to man, but unto God. And Ananias, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And some people were intimidated. What happened? What kind of fear? Great fear came on all them that heard these things. Would you say, uh, let me say, maybe, maybe your loved one couldn't be in church today and you came to church and it was a wonderful service and on the way you went back home and your spouse said to you, how was church today? Wonderful church service today. Yeah, what happened? Well, these two people fell over dead because <laughs> they lied to the Holy Ghost. But once we carried them out, it was a wonderful time. Well, let's read on. Uh, let's move down Look a little, a little bit later. Then, after rehearsing the same thing that he said to Ananias, Peter then talks to her, and then she said the same thing. She fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all in one accord with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest, there's no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. You talk about sifting. You talk about separating the wheat from the chaff. In other words, those that said, I don't, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm not that serious walking with God like this. A God like this. Are you kidding me? They probably didn't join themselves to him. But the other one said, I fear God. I want to know what this is all about. I'm staying with it. But the point is the fear of God is what changes a person's behavior and conduct. It's the fear of God that moves someone to do what God has asked him to do. It's not people just saying, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. I'm going to tell you not to do this and tell you not to do that. No, when a person really sees God and fear, he'll fear God when he really knows who he is. Yes, he's a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, but he's a God of justice and judgment as well. And he's a God of holiness and he's a consuming fire. And we know when people intrude into a place where they should not be, like Aaron's two sons that went in and offered strange fire before the Lord, what happened to them? Anybody know? They got consumed. They got consumed. You think that would impact a young person's life to see that happen? You think his other, other sons were impacted by that when that happened? And when we think about these things, these episodes that took place in Scripture, uh, it should move us to a place of really reverencing and respecting God, having a wholesome dread of displeasing Him in any way in our lives. And if we've lost that, then we have a casual attitude toward God and a casual attitude toward sin. Our attitude should be one of God's a holy God, and I see Him. And we'll get to that in just a moment in a certain way. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, I'm going to point this out. This is the early church. And the early church, and I can see why the early church lived this way. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Notice they walked in the fear of God. That controlling motive of life in matters, spiritual and moral, a wholesome dread of displeasing God. They saw 
what it's like to disrupt the unity, to disrupt what God is doing among them. Great grace, great power, great unity, and all of a sudden now, deception. And what happens? They fall over dead. Would that produce fear in anybody's life? I mean, a reverence for God? Now, in some of these verses, we'll go through these quickly, but I think it's important to point them out because I want you to see what Scripture says. In Deuteronomy 20, chapter 5, verse 29, this is from the NIV version of the Bible. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. Why? So that it might be go well with them and their children forever. What does God want? He's almost like, oh my goodness, would they just from their heart fear me? See me in such a way so that they reverence me. They stand in awe of me and it controls their lives. Look at chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Notice that. Prosper and be kept alive. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. Look at the next one in Psalm 112 in verse 1. We want blessed. It says, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. Know the connection between the two. When a person fears God, he will delight greatly in his commandments. In other words, it's not just that thou shalt not. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no strange gods before me. Because we fear the Lord our God, we'll say, you're first place in my life. No graven image as well, because I fear the Lord. There's no graven images in my life. I fear the Lord, so I remember his name to keep it holy. And the Sabbath day as well. I don't use his name in vain. Why? Because someone told me not to. No, because I fear God. Because his name is holy. And so on. And then honor your father, your mother. Thou shalt not kill, steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery, bear false witness. All those things are the results of something. Of what? Fearing God. Having this godly reverential fear. Look at Psalm 34, beginning at verse 9. The fear of the Lord can be taught. Imagine that. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. There is no want to them that fear him. The young lions, they do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is it? What man is he that desires life, that loves many days, that he may see good? Here it comes. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Wow. He's teaching us the fear of the Lord and it starts with the tongue. Can you imagine that? It starts with the tongue. Well, we have to take another dip in the blood, would you, wouldn't you say? It starts with the tongue of a man. Keep your lips and tongue and speak of guile and evil. Now, when a man fears God, certain things will happen. As a matter of fact, if you recall the message that Jesus gave in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 28, I believe it is, he said this, Don't fear the one who can kill your body, but not kill your soul. But fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Peter, remember, was more concerned about his physical well-being when they approached him and said, do you know him, the Galilean? Do you know him? Oh, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. He wasn't 
keeping his tongue because he was more concerned about someone who can kill his body. Now, granted, who wanted to be in that position? He probably knew he would be killed if he said, yes, I do know him. But remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we're going we're to serve him. You throw us in, we're not going to burn because our God will deliver us. You can see the two different attitudes. He said, we need to fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so how can we do that? By getting a picture of who he really is and seeing him as he truly is. When a man fears God, number one, that's when he will begin to grow and to walk in God. That's when he'll get to learn to know God. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. When a man fears God, I want to know God. I want to know God. I want to know you. Well, then it starts right here. It starts with fearing God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they did, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed from a sinful man. Notice this. I have filthy lips. Starts with lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king and the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So let's kind of put this all together, but put it in some kind of a context. We're going to point out how it's here. there's clarity here, there's conviction here, there's cleansing here, and then there's a commission here to go forth. But let's start with this one. Kings at that time were noted for sitting on thrones and wearing robe that had a train. And the longer the train meant the more authority he had, the more glory, the more majesty, you could say. And the reason for that is this. These robes that had the train on them, it's almost like a bride's train. This train. If you conquered a neighboring king, you cut off his train and put it on yours. And the more victories that you have, the more powerful you become, the longer your train is. Imagine that. So now here we see we have Jesus on the throne. Isaiah sees, sees him high and lifted up. As a matter of fact, if you go to 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 10, 14 through 18, what you discover is this, that Solomon had an elaborate throne. There was no throne like Queen of Sheba came down and saw that and said this was the most majestic thing she has ever seen. And this throne has six steps going up to it, and he's up on the throne there. That's why it says he was high and lifted up, and the train would just flow down over the steps. Well, when he saw, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and remember this, the train filled the temple. You know what that means? He defeated Every enemy there is to defeat. Amen. 
He conquered every enemy there is to conquer. And he's high and lifted up on this throne. And the angels are crying, oh, he's the, he is the what? You talk about a monarch. He's the head of the armies of the living God. He is Jesus, Lord of all, Master. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the victorious one who was dead. He's alive forevermore. And he's reigned over every enemy. Hallelujah. You ready for this one? And his train, which symbolic of his authority and glorious power, fills the temple. And you are the temple of the living God. And every enemy we conf that confronts us, he's already defeated for us. So we can look at the enemy or we can look at the victorious one and say we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's up to us. It's where our focus is. So what does he see? What does Isaiah see? He sees him high, lifted up, full of glory. That's called clarity. We're not, right now we're, we're told in Scripture that we see through a glass darkly, right? We may not see this perfect. I'll tell you what, once again, I have to keep going back to this because he just gets me. Andrew says, just, just yesterday. Oh, Dad, I can't wait till you see Jesus. I can't wait till you see heaven. I can't wait till you see the streets of gold. I can't wait till you, for you to smell what heaven smells like. Very descriptive of all this. And, of course, you knew me. I said, this smell better than any pizza I've ever smelled? He said, oh, it's superior to any pizza you've ever smelled, Dad. I said, okay, you got my attention now. But he would describe that and just say, I can't wait for you to get there. Clarity. Can you imagine if this was a curtain and God by his spirit or angels took the curtain and just opened the curtain and we can see him high and lifted up and full of glory and his train filling the temple and the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. How that would impact our lives. See, we could talk about it. But he saw it. And guess what that did to him? It brought conviction. And what was the first place? Where did this conviction first and foremost point to? I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is to me, I'm undone. Oh my goodness, I am a man of unclean lips. That's okay, the angel says. We'll take care of that. And he got a coal from off the altar and cleansed his lips. You see, when we see him as he truly is, that's when a man really begins to know God. And that's when a man is convicted to do what? Live right for God and have change in his life. I, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I venture to say at least one time you've missed the mark along the way. Would I be accurate in making that statement? Or should I say maybe a few times along the way? Uh, maybe once a month or something like that or every other month. Or Would it be more accurate in saying maybe weekly we've done something that maybe we weren't proud of that needs to be cleansed from, or should I say daily? Some of you are shaking your heads like I should say hourly. <laughs> Others even minute by minute. 
hey, I'm in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Don't think you're different than anybody else because we're all, this, all the same. Judge not that you be not judged. Don't point the finger at somebody else because you got four pointing right back at you, right? We know that. Here, he sees him high and lifted up. He sees him full of glory. He's convicted. And now comes the cleansing. And guess what? We don't get cleansed by a coal from off the altar. We get cleansed by the blood that was shed for our redemption. He has stamped us. Praise God. We are free from sin. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Praise God. And by the blood of the Lamb, he has cleansed us from anything and everything that's offensive to Almighty God. Isn't that good to know? And that blood is an ever-flowing fountain. Or you could even say a waterfalls of blood. And what does it say in the first John 1 7 tells us what? If you walk in the light, it's easy in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Hallelujah. And then, of course, after his conviction and cleansing, he was then commissioned to go forth and speak for God. Isn't that something? It was all about the tongue. Can you see that? It was all about the tongue. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can gauge our spirituality and our spiritual lives, but I, I guess by what we speak, he is saying. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4 and verse 10, children need to be taught the fear of God. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai. Oh, if there were time to do this. Where he told me, summon the people before me, I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live. And they will teach their children to fear me also. You recall reading in your devotional time, Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about that event, where it says that the sight of it all was so amazing and tremendous that even Moses stood in fear, reverence and awe before it. There was the thundering and the lightning, there was the shaking and so on on Mount Sinai and the burning and the fire and the presence of God was there. And you talk about standing there and he said he quaked at it. We've not come to that one, but I guarantee you that would impact any person. I remember the story of Brother Norval Hayes when his daughter was off in a tangent and just doing things that she wanted to do, living the life she wanted to live. And he was upset with God because he said, I'm in the ministry and I serve the Lord. And, and here's my daughter and she's living a, a, a life that's really not becoming a Christian and all that. She's going to destroy my ministry and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he just kept on going on, talking to God, talking to God, talking to God about the situation. And finally, he said, Lord, you're not hearing me. He, the Lord said to him, why don't you practice what you preach? And he said, what? His exact words, that was a low blow, Lord. He said, you know I honor your word. He said, no, you're not honoring my word. Start speaking the word over your daughter's life. Say what the word of God says about your daughter's life. Speak the word over her. And so he changed his whole thing. And he began proclaiming and declaring the truth of God's word over her life over and over. Every time she walked inside the door, he said the same thing. I see you living for God. I see you serving God. Right to her. At the supper table, at the dinner table, at the breakfast table, whatever it is. I heard, going to bed at night when she would come home drunk and on drugs and all that. He would just say, I see you serving God. I see, and, and he went on and on and on and on. One day, one night. I guess you could say either way because it was early in the morning. Like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. She came in through the door the same way she had been all this time. And she went to bed. And when she lay on her bed, she opened up her eyes and looked up. And there was her angel standing in front of her just looking at her. 
she saw him and she sobered up in a heartbeat. She changed the direction of her life, went off to Bible school, serving God from that point on. What created that change in her? Godly reverential fear. When you see who you're dealing with, when you see what you're dealing with, this guy that says, I don't fear God and I don't fear death, he has no idea what he's talking about. None whatsoever. But how do you penetrate that heart? Speaking the word brought the angel in the manifestation. And too oftentimes, instead of, in other words, instead of picking on her like you've been, hollering at her like you've been, why don't you just go there and speak the word over it and let me do it? And when God did it, look out. Number two, when a man fears God, he will be motivated to live a holy life. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 that says, Having therefore, brethren, these precious promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What enables us to perfect holiness? The fear of God. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear. Right. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling fear and trembling does God want us to be afraid of him no 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 he doesn't want us to be afraid of him he wants us to respect him reverence him stand in awe of him and be so moved within that you say I don't want to displease this God that I serve that's what he wants and it's almost like we should say to ourselves self start focusing on the fear of the Lord Ask him to show you who he really is. Ask him to demonstrate who he really is in your life. And I guarantee you, it'll affect change and it will impact people in such a way as, so as to motivate them to live for God and serve God. I realize this may not be one of the overcoming messages that we're used to, but you know what? This is needed right now more than anything in the body of Christ. This is needed right now more than in any church. Any people group, any nation? Uh, look at uh, Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. They tell us, be not wise in your own eyes. What a statement. Who do, you who do we think we are? Who what do we really know? But fear the Lord. Notice the statement. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, the fear of the Lord precedes the departing from evil. It'll be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Anybody want to get healthy? And that's a reference to like the spiritual umbilical cord that attaches us to the living God who provides the life that we need and health that we need in our own personal lives. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. Look at chapter 14, verse 2 from the NIV version of the Bible. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly. See, notice what's first. Fear the Lord and what will you do? Walk uprightly. But those that despise him are devious in their ways. Hmm. So godly fear, he is saying, impacts our behavior, our conduct, our character, our attitude. So rather than saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, uh, you, should be, you should be going to church, or you shouldn't be um, doing drugs, or you shouldn't be getting drunk, or you should, whatever. We're so used to the external things. No, what you should do is fear God. And there is a reason to fear God. Why? Because he can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so he commands really our reverence and respect. Thirdly, he will serve God faithfully. We talk about serving God. We can't get people motivated to serve God. You know what? If a person has the fear of God, they will serve him. Look at the verse. Psalms 211. 
Amplified. Serve the Lord with reverent awe and worshipful fear. Rejoice and be in high spirits with trembling, lest you displease him. You know, the Bible even talks about that if you work for a man, you should work for him as unto the Lord in godly fear. Do you realize that? I learned that early in my walk. I always did what I could do for my employer because uh, it was in me to do that. Some people don't do that only if they're watching. But the Bible says don't do it when they're watching. All the more reason when they're not watching. Because why? God's watching us. Look at the next one in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. We talk about Noah. We talk about the ark. We talk about what he did. But look at the motivation behind it. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. He had such reverence for God, such awe when it came to God, that what did he do? He was motivated by this reverence and all that he had for God and his word. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keep in keeping with faith. He believed there was going to be a flood. He believed that God meant what he said. He believed that God would honor his word, and he believed that was going to take place. And he tried to warn people and let them know, but they thought he was crazy. They never saw rain. They never saw floods or anything like that. What are you building this boat? What's it going to be for? Had they listened to him, he could have saved a lot more lives. Can you say amen to that? Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. This is the, it culminates, this whole, these verses before this talk about Moses before the uh, Mount Sinai and the fear, the Mount of fear and trembling. But now when it comes to us, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. What is the acceptable way to worship God? With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. Reverence and awe. How does that translate into public worship of God? And that's why I want to instill within us we shouldn't even ask to be motivated to lift up your hands and worship the Lord. We should walk in here as a collective body of believers telling each other on the way in. I'm just here to honor God. Of my whole work week, whatever I do, six days a week, this is my time with other believers that I exclusively give myself to God in utmost awe, respect, reverence, and true worship. I'm coming here to give you myself. I'm not focusing on anybody else but myself in my worship of you, Lord. I want to make sure that my heart attitude is right, that I get it right with you and get it right with other people as well. And then um, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 9. This is from the NIV. He gave them these orders. Well, what are your orders? You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Wow. Faithfully and wholeheartedly. Motivated by what? All reverential fear of God. Number four, he will be rewarded for what he does. And Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, with what? The fear of the Lord prolongs a person's days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. In 19 to verse 23, the fear of the Lord tends to life, and he that has it shall abide satisfied. It produces satisfaction. He will not be visited with 
evil. Take that verse right there, and my goodness, look at what it says. You're going to be satisfied in life, and you're not going to be visited with evil. So satisfaction, long life can be expected. Look at the uh, next one. He will gain assurance in Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. There's the assurance of protection. In 19, I'm sorry, 34 and verse 7, look at this verse. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him to do what? Deliver them. So there's a, a place of protection. There's a place of deliverance. And then in verses 9 and 10, it's a place of provision in the fear of God. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. How about that? So there's protection, there's deliverance, there's provision. And then this last one, I do believe it's a time to really shout and appreciate what he says. Look at this verse, this next verse in Psalm 33. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Whoa. You know what that means? We have his attention. Upon them that hope in his mercy. In other words, we have assurance of his attention. He's looking at me. I know he's looking at me. I'm walking in godly reverential fear. He's got his eye on you. And finally, he'll become, you ready for this one? More Christ-like. Isn't that the ultimate aim and goal of the believer's life? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. This is the New Living Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud, with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. In other words, he held his father in the highest of esteem and regard. And because of that, I think King James says fear. He walked in the fear of God. He sets an example for all of us. If he too offered up his prayers because of his fear of the Lord, and we too can learn from him how important it is for us to stay in prayer before God, but God of reverential fear, knowing that, you know what, as we sojourn through this life, we can't do it on our own. We can't make it on our own. Finally, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and this has to be the sum total of it all, look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, the sum total of everything that we're talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes. What is it? What's the first two words? Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Whoa. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, sometimes we'll talk about something like that, that one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're all going to get the rewards that we uh, are to get in our bot for the, what we've done in our bodies. And it could be whether it's good or evil. In other words, if we're doing something that is good with the right motivation, we'll be rewarded for it. If not, it'll be burned up and we won't receive anything as far as that goes on the other side. But once again, the fear of God is not cowering like we're afraid of him, like, as you would be afraid. Any, any ladies here afraid of a snake? Come on. There are a few of you. How about some of you guys out there? You've heard of snakes. <laughs> Why are they just so awful? Just, 
you know, God, what was your intention? But never mind. We won't even go down that path. But um, it's reverence. Am I alone in this? We've lost a lot of reverence for God in Christian circles. I can remember when the shift took place way back when, when we shifted over from coming, rather than coming in here to really worship God, we wanted to come and please younger people with playing music that they liked and we catered to whatever. You know what? God is God. He's not going to change. If we can't fear him from who he is, then something's wrong with our outreach. You go back and read all these over and study them out, and you'll find this out. You stand before God, it'll change you. You fear God, it'll change you. It'll change your conduct, your character, your behavior, your attitude, the way you live your life, conduct yourself, the way you interact with other people. It'll affect your walk, it'll affect your talk, it'll affect your giving, it'll affect every aspect of your being. But the sad part about it is too often today we don't want to hear that we want motivational messages that talk about how good God is, and that's, He is good. And how we can get everything we can. You know what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all that. Whatever it is that we need from God to receive from God, let's start right there. Let's start right there.